one of the things I love the most about being the, the regular preacher here at Christ Community Church, and if you're a regular attender, you know this is true, oftentimes the sermon is sung before the sermon is actually preached, and tonight was no exception. There is a reason we can sing Joy to the World, which we sung tonight, and that is because there has been a true and better Adam. I don't know if you picked up on that line in the very first song we sang tonight, Come Behold the Mistress, the Beauty. And and because there's a true and better Adam, we sing Joy to the World. So it is good to gather Christmas Eve to remember these rich truths that undergird and change and transform our lives. Let me read you words that are very familiar to you, especially this time of year. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Those words come from Luke's gospel, chapter 2, verse 14. And of all the gospels, Luke's gospel contains the richest material in reminding us of a Savior who is compassionate and kind to people and a world that is under sin, suffering, and despair. By contrast, Matthew and Mark's gospel display Jesus as the coming king. The gospel of John displays the deity and complexity of Christ. But Luke's gospel shows us the humanity of Christ and the tenderness as He is so near to His people. And this makes a lot of sense because it's also in Luke's gospel that we're reminded that Jesus is the true and better Adam, the the second Adam, the last Adam, the representative of humanity, the bearer of the image of God. But unlike Adam number one that got humanity cast out of the presence of God and cast all of creation into chaos, this Adam number two, the last Adam, as, as 1 Corinthians 15, 45 calls him, restores our relationship with God restores and recovers the beauty, the honor, the dignity of why God created humanity in the first place. Tonight, as we look at our fifth message in our series in Advent, Jesus the Second Adam, in the next 10 or 15 minutes, we're going to briefly answer three of these questions tonight. What does the Bible mean by the Second Adam? Where do we see this in Luke's gospel? And how does Jesus being the Second Adam relate to Christmas? Number one, first, what does the Bible mean by Jesus being the second Adam? That word Adam should, should in your mind, elicit uh, back to the book of Genesis. And originally, those first two chapters were, it was just a wonderful, rich blessing where words like being fruitful and multiplying and being good and having dominion was all through the chapter. As a matter of fact, in Genesis 1, seven times God Himself says, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is very, very good. You see, man walked with God in the garden. Unbroken relationship. They were together enjoying each other's presence. Not only unbroken relationship between God and man, but between man and woman, between man and himself, man and the creation. It was really good. But it wasn't very long, if you know the story, that we get to the third chapter of Genesis and it all goes sideways, paradise lost. Now pain, fear, shame, and conflict become the norm of the human experience. So bad, so far-reaching is sin's devastation that even the creation itself is cursed. We see this clearly as Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 20. It says, for the creation was subjugated to futility, not willingly, in its bondage to corruption. 
leading to all manner of disorder and chaos in the world we have all inherited. The reason this is important, the reason we need to grasp this concept of why the New Testament calls Jesus the second Adam is because Adam, it was our federal head. That's a fancy way of simply saying Adam represented us. We understand that. We have a federal governance here. Adam represented all of us to God. He represented all of us, and he was the best of us. Adam and Eve were with God, and they had it all. But it doesn't take long, as I said, you get to Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. And even they, in perfection, Adam and Eve, could not resist sin's temptation. We don't have time to unpack it, but you know the narrative. The serpent tempts Adam and Eve with life, with glory, and wisdom. And they succumb to it. And so everyone who is in Adam's line, everyone who is in Adam is doomed because Adam is their representative. I don't know about you, but I want better representation, right? I I don't want to be represented by somebody who dooms me, and the sad reality of the Old Testament is that it is full. If you want to know what the story of the Old Testament is, it is full, full of failed representations of us. Adam and Eve couldn't do it. Abraham couldn't do it. King David couldn't do it. Israel couldn't do it. Failure after failure until we finally get to these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a living spirit. You see, what Paul is saying is we finally have the representation we need. We finally have the representation we want. Jesus now, by using this term, calling him the last Adam, he's our representative and he's the last one. There's no more need for representation because Jesus did what Adam couldn't. He talks about him being a life-giving spirit. Oftentimes in the Bible, you will see spirit and flesh contrasted And we take that to mean a contrast between the physical and non-physical, and that does appear there. But oftentimes when the Bible contrasts flesh with spirit, it's contrasting the, the temporal with the permanent. So what Paul is saying is that this is a this is a a permanent and eternal representation, a life given to us. Jesus is the second chance. He is the way to get back to the way things were, the way they were supposed to be. That's what the Bible means by calling Jesus the the second Adam. The second question is then, well, where do we see this in Luke's gospel? Because if Luke unpacks that, where do we see it? And most of you are familiar, especially, you know, around Christmas time with Luke chapter 1 and 2. That's the, the quintessential chapters of the Christmas narrative. But if you just go one or two more chapters, chapters 3 and 4, Luke begins to unpack and make the connection that Jesus is this new representative of humanity. First of all, in the genealogy in Luke chapter 3, Luke carefully frames Jesus in such a way that Jesus is connected to both Israel, humanity, and to God. And we won't look at it, but notice just in these, I've truncated those 15 verses, but this is how Luke gives Jesus' genealogy. Jesus, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of David, the son of Abraham, the son of Adam, the son of God. In his lineage, in his genealogy, Luke is careful to make sure that we understand that Jesus is connected to Israel, humanity, and to God himself. But secondly, we see the connection to Jesus being the second Adam in Luke chapter 4 
in his temptation. You see, just as Adam was tested in the garden and failed, Jesus was tested in the wilderness and passed. The, the, the contrast could not be, or the, the comparison could not be clear because we see in Jesus' temptation in Luke chapter 4, the same very things that Adam was tempted with in the garden, life, glory, and wisdom all apart from God, and where humanity took the bait and fell, Jesus rejected it and succeeded. Jesus succeeded. The second Adam succeeded where the first Adam failed. The second Adam, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, maintained the fellowship with God the Father. This is why the Bible teaches that Jesus is the one who restores and recovers all that humanity lost, the glory, the honor, the dominion, and the peace that God had created us with, that we have lost, that we have inherited a world where it does not exist, Jesus restored it all. This is why Christianity teaches so much about Jesus. That's why you often read in the New Testament this phrase, being in Christ, because you don't want to be in Adam you want to be in Christ. So Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. If you were here this last week, you saw, you heard as Hunter taught us so well, because Jesus is our champion, His victory is our victory. And why is that? If you've been here in our series, it's, you should know by now, not only because he's our federal head, he represented us, he is our legal substitute. So again, that's what the Bible means by second Adam, briefly. That's where we briefly see it in Luke's gospel. But how does Jesus, being the second Adam, relate to the Christmas season? Friends, one of the most hopeful and encouraging truths of Jesus being the second Adam is this, salvation the biblical understanding of salvation, what Christianity proclaims, has cosmic and far-reaching effects, which is why one of my favorite songs, and, I, and I'm, I've got to talk to Adam, I, we need to sing this song more than just at Christmas. It is a song, Joy to the World, because it's not just a Christmas song, it is a gospel song. You've seen the lyrics, no more let sins and sorrows grow nor thorns infest the ground. What's he talking about? He's talking about the creation is not going to be cursed anymore. He comes to make his blessings flow, for as the curse is found, for as the curse is found, joy to the world. The Bible teaches that the message of salvation understood fully and truly is not merely a personal thing, but it's creational. Jesus and the gospel message is not just about saving humanity, it is about saving all of reality. That's what joy to the world is saying. That's what Jesus being the second Adam means. And the reason this is important is because, you see, in traditional religion, traditional religion, the focus can be just, just too personal, just about saving ourselves. Right? And, and, and honestly, if we're, we're being honest, that, that's really self-centered, and it's very small. Friends, if you are a Christian, God did not save you to remove you from the world as much as He saved you for the world. Let me say that again. God does not save us from the world as much as He's saving us for the world. 
That means we have to think Christianly about everything we're doing. If we're in this new humanity, this new second Adam, how do you think Christianly about Christmas? Don't just assume that it is, right? How are you thinking Christianly about this season? How are you thinking Christianly about your life, your marriage, your singlehood, your children, your grandchildren, your retirement, your vacations? How are you thinking Christianly about every aspect of your life? Let me frame it this way. How are His blessings flowing through and in you as far as the curse is found? On the other hand, secularism, there's understanding of salvation's too impersonal and ambiguous. It's just about saving the planet, right? There's no understanding of how can we be redeemed. They're just thinking about the planet around. Now, friends, there is a reason diseases run rampant and natural disasters go from bad to worse every year. We looked at it. It's because the creation itself is cursed. So, yes, vaccines can be helpful. International climate accords can be useful. But until the creation itself is set free from its bondage to corruption, like Romans 8.21 says, this world will always be marked and gripped by disease, decay, and disasters. So if traditional religion is just focused too much on the personal and secularism is just focused on just the physical, Christianity, by contrast, focuses on both. And that's why the second Adam matters. It is not just about humanity being redeemed. It's about all of reality being redeemed with it, which is why we sang, rocks, hills, and fields, and plains repeat the sounding joy. What's the hymn talking about? All aspects of creation are redeemed because Jesus is born, because Jesus is the second Adam. And if you are a Christian, it begins with your own heart being regenerated, understanding the gospel message. It is easy this time of year to get caught up in the Christmas spirit and don't even think about Jesus Christ. And as a pastor, I get it. Sometimes we got to warm our hearts to the things that matter most. It starts with our hearts being regenerated and it moves out in broader, all-encompassing circles. Asking the question, how is God's blessings in and through my life pushing back the curse? Christmas is wonderful because it is a reminder that it is part of God's redeeming story, a great part that all creation can be redeemed because the second Adam was born. Friends, we're going to conclude our service tonight by our tradition every year. We're going to go outside in the palm court. When you came in, you were handed a service guide. And on one side of it are the song lyrics. As you, as I pray and dismiss us, we're going to go outside There's going to be baskets on all of our planters with candles. Feel free to grab one of those. If you can't find one, our ushers will help get you candles. And then Danny's going to lead us in a singing of these last two Christmas hymns. Let me pray for us, and we'll go outside to the palm court. Father, we thank you for Christmas season. Lord, I thank you for the rhythm and routines of having these services to be reminded, as fun as it was being with family and exchanging gifts and and having a good time. We remember that in the darkness of night, the light of your salvation broke in. Prior to the coming of Jesus Christ, this world was in darkness. And since his arrival, the light of the gospel has transformed the world. Well, that's what this season is about. 
We pray that as Christians, we would proclaim it, that all the gift-giving and all the, the excess of Christmas that is so beautiful is a reflection of the abundance of you giving your son. Father, may that be the joy that overflows from us, and we'll thank you for it in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. For more information and resources from Christ Community, visit us at www.ccclh.org.